Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. So go ahead and turn in your scriptures to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 30. I'll read all the way through the end of chapter 10. The question this morning is, it's really a simple one actually. So now what? Now what? It's actually relieving to have a simple question because in this section of Romans, we've had a lot of hard questions. We had a hard question to start with, which is, has God failed to save his people? And the answer was no, he hasn't. Everyone God intends to save, he saves, he does it. He's good for that. And then the question last week was even harder, I thought, because we said, well, is God unfair? Is God unjust? And we said, well, yes and no. I mean, no, because those he chooses not to save, um, I mean, he chooses not to save some rebellious people and to leave them in a state of rebellion. And, well, that's fair. Um, but what's not fair is the fact that he saves other people, people like us, who were rebellious and invites us into the family and actually punishes his son for us and gives us his son's righteousness. Like, that's actually not fair. But it sure is beautiful. And it sure is full of love uh, for people like us. And you know there's a mystery to all of this, right? Like we don't understand how it works, God's saving purposes, why he saves, who, when. We don't get that. And so it's really refreshing in all of that mystery to ask this question. So so now what? I mean, now what? What What do we do? And that's the question we'll answer together. So I invite you to stand. I'm gonna read from Romans 9, starting in verse 30, ending the end of chapter 10. What then shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they do not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes us about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, 
It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is the word of God. You can be seated and let's pray. Lord, if faith comes by hearing your word, then that's what we want. We want hearts that absorb what you have to teach us. So would you please Bless the words of my mouth with the meditations of all of our hearts this morning. Be pleasing in your sight, our Lord and our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. More than anything in all the world, the tin man wanted a heart. Right? That's why he joined Dorothy and her gang. That's why he followed the yellow brick road all the way to the Emerald City to meet the Wizard of Oz, to ask the Wizard of Oz, hey, give me a heart. Well, when he finally meets the Wizard of Oz, sorry to give you a spoiler alert. I mean, the movie's like 80 years old, so that's on you. When he finally meets the Wizard of Oz, the Wizard of Oz says, hey, Tin Man, you don't need a heart. As a matter of fact, hearts are great until they start to break. The tin man says, yeah, but I still want a heart. And it's at this point that the Wizard of Oz gives an answer that I think is one of the more profound things that's ever been said in film. This is the start of what he says. Back where I come from, There are men who do nothing all day but deeds. They're called good deed doers. And their hearts are no bigger than yours. But they have one thing you haven't got. What is it? What, What is it? What do they have that I don't have? That is the question that the Jews are asking Paul. What, what is it, Paul, that the Gentiles have 
that we don't have. I mean, we are the ethnic people of God. We're supposed to be the insiders, but we are finding ourselves on the outside. And these Gentiles, well, well, they're on the inside. So what is it, Paul? What is the one thing that they have that we don't have? Tell us. The answer is righteousness. Righteousness. They are right with God. They are enough for God. Okay, righteousness. How do we get that? Paul's answer, faith. Faith. This passage teaches us what the whole Bible teaches us. That salvation is by grace through faith. If you don't trust in the right one, then you can't be right with God. It is so simple. We think it is so simple that we don't actually need to think about it anymore, talk about it anymore, but that's not true. The Jews really needed to think about this because their crisis of faith had led to misapplied faith and was withholding from them real saving faith. And so as we come to a passage like this, we have to think to ourselves, if it's true for them, all the stuff they experienced, their rich history and heritage, could it be true for us too? That's going to mean that this passage is not just an interesting, old, but disconnected story about Israel, but that it's something that engages our own hearts, that the Apostle Paul actually wants you and me to grapple in our hearts with the reality that maybe, just maybe, we are not right with God. We might not have righteousness, which is to say, if there needs to be a disruptive crisis of faith to sort all of that out, then bring it on. Bring it on. It's always good to examine your heart. Listen, I I don't care how long you've been a Christian and how Christian you feel. It's always good just to deconstruct everything and to look at it and to say, am I getting this right? Am I right with God? Am I really sure that I'm okay That's what Paul's doing here. He's injecting a faith crisis for the Jews here. Verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say? This is his, so what do we do now? Question. That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. Just in general, that scenario is very surprising. Um, It points back to the, the mysteries of God and his salvation plan. Here are these people, the Gentiles, who were born far, far away from God, not seeking after God, not interested in getting right with God, who are suddenly right with God. And the Jews who have been striving and striving their whole existence to do it the right way and to get close to God and to be right with God, they now are not right with God. What went wrong? 
And Paul's answer is, it's all about how folks were trying to get right with God. And you heard what he said. The Jews were focused on using the law to get right with God. In other words, they were hoping that their good behavior would save them. That in general is how religion works. Survey all of the world's major world religions, and that's how it works, right? We do good things to get God, whatever God is, whoever he is, to like us. Uh, I read the words of a Jewish rabbi who recently wrote to a new convert to Christianity. This is what he said. The basic question about religion is how to elevate man and bring him into closer relationship with God. We believe that God revealed to us the law of Moses, how he wants us to live so that we can try to be in harmony with his divine purpose. Our role and religious purpose is to obey God's law, to love him and to obey him. We exercise our free will by proper intention and, listen to this, through having done the good deeds are elevated so that it becomes progressively easier and more natural to continue to do good and to resist evil. Just like every other major world religion, that's the picture we have. God is up here, and we, we are down here. How do we get up there? We climb the ladder of religious deeds. We do good things. We have good behavior. We say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. We try and we try and we try. And the only problem, the Apostle Paul says, is that Christianity is not like all major world religions. Christianity is totally different from that. We don't behave ourselves into a right relationship with God because we can't. We can't do it. Verse 5, Moses chimes in and he says this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. What Moses is saying is, hey, look, if you want to be right with God, then all you have to do is follow the law perfectly. That's all you've got to do. Of course, the problem with that is that none of us can do it, and the only person that has ever done it is Jesus Christ. And everyone else who tries to do it will die a condemned person. Instead, verses 6 and 7, the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So salvation Therefore, it's not about climbing the stairway to heaven to bring Jesus down, to impress him with how awesome we are and that he should come down here to be with people like us, nor is it about reaching down and waking Jesus up from the dead and showing our supernatural power to do great things and move mountains. No. God has done that. God sent Jesus down. God raised Jesus up. Therefore, salvation is based on what God is doing, his power to save and not our power to make ourselves right with God. God has done all the work that needs to be done to save us so that we don't have to strive and strive and strive and strive and fail to save ourselves. Verse 9, 
If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what we do. We declare it. We believe it, and we're saved. What we say is, hey, God, I'm not enough to impress you and to be right with you. Jesus is enough. And salvation, righteousness by faith, is ours by what? By trusting in him and not in ourselves. And if that, my friends, is not how your Christian faith works, then it's wrong and you need to dismantle it. Take it apart piece by piece and rebuild it with a church that loves you. Rebuild it on a foundation of Jesus is sufficient. And Jesus is the only one who is enough to save us. A crisis of faith. All right, some of you just heard me say, okay, so not by works, not by deeds. So salvation is not by the things I can do with my hands, the good stuff. Salvation must be then about my heart, yes, about feeling strongly, confidently about my religious convictions. If I do that, then I'm probably good, right? I say this with all respect and with much love, knowing that many of us in the room come from a culture where it is very, very valuable to feel strongly and passionately about stuff, right? It's actually pretty cool when you go to a World Cup game and you see that. It's amazing. There is a temptation to to believe that if you feel strongly about your faith, then you must have saving faith. And Paul is saying, no, uh uh-uh. That's also not the way it works. Paul says, actually, there were great, passionate, obedient Jews who felt very, very strongly about their faith. They were zealous, even, who had misplaced faith. They were trusting in their works and also in their zeal. Verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Their zeal is not based on knowledge. What does that mean for us today? What does it look like today in a churchy setting like this? One pastor says to us today this, look, religious zeal is not an infallible sign that we know the truth. The fact is, a man or a woman can be zealous for the scriptures, zealous for Sunday school, zealous for the programs of the church, zealous for church life, zealous for all of these things, and still be unregenerate, still be unsaved. And that may be describing you. You may feel passionate about Christianity, You may feel strongly and in very religious ways. Many people that I meet, they find out I'm a pastor and there's this weird kind of dance that they want to do where they say, Pastor, I'm so glad you're a pastor. I just need to tell you that I am such a devoted Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible. I'm always praying. I'm always sharing my faith. Nobody loves God more than me. And I'm listening to that and I'm listening and I'm saying, okay, that's good stuff. But if that is all that defines your Christianity, it's not enough. 
it's not enough and you're in big trouble. Here's what I mean. Um, three and a half years ago, some of you remember that I, that I messed up the artery in my neck over here and I had to go to the hospital for 10 days. And long story short, I had to get on this very strong medicine that made my blood really, really thin so that I wouldn't have a stroke. And so I'm sitting in there and we had a problem with the IV the first day. Um, I had this fascinating interaction with my nurses. Uh, The first nurse came in and she saw my Bible sitting there next to my hospital bed and she's like, okay, who's this giant gringo Bible? Like, what's your, why do you have this? And I'm like, I'm a pastor at International Church. I'm trying to prepare my sermon so that I can preach on Sunday, which I didn't because I was in the hospital for a while. And um, she goes into that whole dance that I just described to you. Oh, pastor, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so devoted. I'm so, I go to so-and-so church. You may know it. It's led by the esteemed pastor so-and-so and da 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 all that stuff, right? Um, but then she went to go put the needle into my vein, and she missed. I mean, missed bad. And I'm sorry. I know this is like squirmy for some of you. Um, But then she went to do it again, and she missed again, and she missed again and again, and my hand was looking like like a pincushion that you use for sewing. Um, And I just said, "Uh, uh, maybe we can try this later. And she said, no, 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 no. And she looked up to heaven, and she said, Lord, we have enough faith. We have enough faith, Lord. She reared back, and she jammed it, and she missed again. The best part, though, was that uh, in a few minutes, another nurse came in, and she was very no-nonsense. She was like my favorite nurse that I had. And she walked in, and she looked at my poor mangled-up hand, and she went, bam, nailed it. No pain, no pain at all. She hit it. Um, That is the Christian mentality that I'm talking about that's extremely, extremely dangerous. What she said, Lord... We have enough faith, and that's what matters, right? So my faith is so, so strong. We've got it, right, Lord? You have to do this because, because I'm so strong. And that shows up formally. It shows up right now in churches in our city and all over the world through the prosperity gospel, through name it, claim it theology, where you say, I just have to believe hard enough, and bam, there it is. You have to do it, Lord. But it also shows up like this. People who would vehemently disagree with prosperity gospel theology, still some of them in their hearts think, I'm devoted enough. I'm strong enough. I am so passionate and sold out for Christianity. And I just want to say that in and of itself is also not enough. That is just as deceptive and dangerous. That is misplaced Faith, because it's faith in your faith, not faith in Jesus. When we talk about faith, we often talk about it in terms of, I, I have a strong faith, or I just need more faith, or I'm glad I had enough faith, right? Like it's something we can go out and get and build up. But that's not it, according to Paul. Faith points toward someone and away from yourself. The same with the law, Right? You heard what he said in verse 4. Christ is the culmination of the law, the end, the goal of the law. Christ is 
so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The whole law points to Jesus, not to the people who have it. It points to Jesus. The same is true with our faith. Becoming right with God through faith is not about how much faith you have or how strong your faith is. It's about the object of your faith. Did you hear me? Becoming right with God through faith is not about how much faith you have or how strong your faith is. It's about the object of your faith. In other words, to be a Christian is not about how strong your faith is. It's about how strong Jesus is. It's not about how strong you are. Otherwise, we're in really, really big trouble because we're not strong enough. We don't have enough. Only Jesus is enough. This isn't about trusting in yourself. This isn't about trusting the things that you do or the things that you feel. The righteousness of God comes to people who readily acknowledge this. God, I can't trust myself I'm a total, I'm too messed up to do it myself. I do too many bad things. I don't do enough good things. The way I feel about myself, it's fickle, and sometimes I feel okay, and sometimes I don't feel okay with you. I need you, Jesus, to save me. Only you, Jesus, can save me. And anyone who says that to Jesus has saving faith. They're right with God. Please hear me when I say it's not bad to be zealous. It is not bad to do good works. In fact, if you don't love God and if you don't do anything for God, you may not be a Christian. As my wife says often, you don't bark to become a dog, you bark because you are a dog. You don't feel this way and do this thing to become a Christian. No, you feel this way and do this thing because you already are a Christian. Only Jesus will save you. That's the whole point of his death on the cross. That's the whole point of his resurrection from the dead. Those were things that only God could do for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And get this, it worked. We don't have to add something to it. There's not an extra safety measure that we have to bring to it. No, it worked. Jesus is really enough. I read the story this week of two guys that were out in the middle of nowhere in this big field enjoying nature, And then all of a sudden, things got really scary fast because one of them looked on the horizon and saw this cloud of smoke going up and pretty soon started to hear the crackle and the roar even of the brush fire that was headed their way and didn't look like it was going to stop. And so the other guy starts looking around on his person in his vest to find, uh, he found a box of matches and he started to light a fire to burn all of the grass and the ground around where they were standing so that it was a blackened circle of earth. And then as the brush fire raged closer and closer and closer to them, he picked up their handkerchiefs and they braced for impact and the fire jumped over them. It went around them. Why is that? Because fire won't burn what has already been burnt. If you try to save yourself by your good works or your good feelings, you're going to get burned. The only way to be saved is to stand in what Jesus has already done, to stand in the shed blood of Jesus. It really was shed for the forgiveness of your sins, the full forgiveness 
of your sins. It really, really works. And when the wrath of God comes at people like us, well, there's nothing to consume because the wrath of God was already poured out on Jesus in whom we trust. And here's the really beautiful thing about our God and his salvation. He is an anyone and everyone sort of God. Did you hear that in this passage? Verses 11 to 13. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is salvation just for the Jews? Uh Uh-uh. Is salvation just for the Gentiles? No. Is salvation just for this culture or for this type of person, for rich people or for that? No. No. It's for anyone. It's for everyone who believes. The Lord of all richly blesses all. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who looks at the state of their life and their heart and says, help, I can't do this. I'm a mess. Help, Jesus, please. You're my only hope. Anyone and everyone who does that is saved, is made right with God. You know what that means? It means no matter how bad you have been, no matter how bad people have been to you, if you call on the name of Jesus, you too can be a beloved daughter of, the God, of our God, a beloved son of our God. Anyone and everyone. All you have to do is just lean all your weight on Jesus and trust only in him who is good enough for you. I told you that the Wizard of Oz reply to the Tin Man was one of the more profound things that has ever been said in film. But I didn't finish the quote. Here's the first part. Back where I come from, there are men who do nothing all day but good deeds. They're called phila for uh, good deed doers. And their hearts are no bigger than yours, but they have one thing you haven't got. And we all want to know, what is it? A testimonial. A testimonial. And with that, he gives the tin man this heart-shaped clock that ticks to represent the beating heart that's already in the tin man. It's his testimonial to say, look, you have a heart. Then this is what he said. And remember, my sentimental friend, that a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. That is the story of Christianity. You know what our testimonial is? It's the cross and the empty tomb, that Jesus would die for someone like us. You are not made right with God by how much you love. You are made right with God because of how much he loves. It's not about how big your heart is. It's about big, how big his heart is for you, big enough that he would send you his only son to live for you, to die for you, to rise for you. It's about God giving you the very heart of Jesus himself and his life. If that's something that you want, that you know you don't have, ask. Ask, Lord, please, I need that. If that's something that you have already, well, then you have saving faith. And you are right with God because you are loved by God. Lord, we thank you for this good news. It's such good news to people like us. 
Thanks for not making us save ourselves because we would fail. Thanks for doing all the work for us and for rescuing us from the mess of our lives and the world around us, for making us part of your family. Would you please help us to trust in you? Help us to trust in you. You have saved us. You sanctify us. Lord, help us to follow you in your work in our lives, through our lives, in your world. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogotá.org.